paint the picture that it's all bad because it's not. It's the industry we live and love. Um, but, you know, it's on people's minds that there's a bit more out in the trench at the moment. G'day and welcome back to the Funds Vice podcast for another cracking episode. This episode, we dive back into the GPA series to find out what they've been up to, what's happening, what's the current challenges, and how we're going to overcome them. And also, you might be able to be a little fly on the wall in a few of their strategy meetings of what's taking place currently over in Perth. So get around this episode, share it with your mates, share it with the grain producers in your life so that we can have a better tomorrow for Australian farmers. Pass on the farm's advice and let's get into this episode. So Colin, thanks for joining us once again from GPA, doing the best work for grain producers out in Australia. Um, and we're delighted to have Barry dropping in here. I think actually Colin's dropping in to Barry's crib. Barry, yeah, that's it. Yep. Cole's in the suit. Yep. And- we're in Perth. Uh, ahead of our board meeting, GPA board and strategy meeting tomorrow. Very good. So hopefully we can get some strategies down pat for where we're going as grain producers in Australia. But give us a bit of a rundown, Colin, for GPA's causes currently and your sort of vision for and the direction for those that haven't tuned in before. Yeah, well, we're on the job representing Australian grain producers and tomorrow we've got a strategic plan and we're just going to be going over that with our directors, refreshing that and looking out at the next three or four or five years and what priorities are. So our our board's made up of growers uh, representing growers from around Australia and in the regions, southern region, northern region and western and independent skills-based directors as well. So we'll come out of that session fired up and energised to take GPA to the next level and and the industry. But, yeah, I think the main thing at the moment that's occupying Barry's mind as the chair is the season. So we always start with what's happening with uh, out in the paddock for growers, really. So what do you think, Barry? Oh, look, I think the season is um, a story of rags to riches, really, um, across the country. Uh, where you have places like Western Australia where you might as well say, North of Perth is um, a disaster, um, north and east of Perth. And then as you go the, the middle line, you know, following the, the, the great road that heads across east, there's some nice patches of crop through there. Then to the south coast, which is um, quite wet. Uh, where, where does Western Australia end up? 12, 13 million tonne would be my tip, somewhere around there. And then you um, you head over east and... South Australia, from what I can gather from all accounts, is looking at a pretty reasonable crop at the moment. They seem to be going along okay. Victoria is um, going along pretty okay. And Queensland, a bit disastrous. New South Wales, a mixed bag. I think the thing is, over the next um, over the next three weeks, even in the, the, the states that I've been fortunate enough to get rain for, is we've got that um, big boogeyman out there still. Mr. Frost is still around. Jack. And um, Jack's not a very popular person. Um, so let's hope that Jack knows that it's in his interest to stay away because um, we there's the opportunity for some farmers to enjoy a good crop. i just make one point I'd like to make is that 
you asked a question about where's GPA going and what are we doing? I think the one point I want to make is, is that every day for GPA is bigger than the day before. We're, we're, we're a new kid on the block that's, that's approaching 10 years old, um, starting off from very, very humble beginnings and forcing our way, but through good due diligence and, and people understanding back in the cause, um, we're true to we're true to growers and we represent growers because we are growers and every day it just gets more exciting and this you know this is our second strategic plan the teeth that'll be in this one are going to be immense going forward because of the effort and the support we have um through people involved in our organization and um to throw the hook out and hook a ceo like cole for a start is you know is a win situation. So it is exciting times, even um, with some of us experiencing a, a bit of a dry start. 100% and also probably the southern and like the east to middle, like South Australia, Victoria, probably going to be doing the heavy lifting with the majority of the crop coming through. Um, around Tamora, like I heard, mates, we're get, still getting bogged there a couple of weeks ago. So wow. they aren't doing too bad there for New South Wales. But like, as you said, a bit of a mixed bag and hopefully just reduced yields and not wiping out the crop totally with that frost coming back. As you say that, like we're 34 today and we're going back to like low 20s this coming week. I don't think it's frost material, but yeah, you never know, do you? No, you don't. I think the recent ABES forecast was what, Jack, you might know, being the stats man for the Australian agricultural industry was around about... 45,000 tonnes, which some people thought was a little bit high, I think. 45 but, million. Well, sorry, 45 million. Yeah. What did I say? Thousand. 45,000. Now, that'd be trouble. <laughs> so, you know, um, compared to the last couple of years, it's going to be well down. But compared to historical averages, I think it's still on par to be a good year. It would be interesting to see, especially the challenges. And also, everyone was they were prepping for... A really good crop as well and it sort of turned on its head quite quickly um for all of agriculture but for cropping that moisture just got sort of sapped away and thought that the moist profile would get us through um off the back of the last couple of years especially on the east coast there barry and hopefully I think, the WA... also, Adam? I think also yeah. the thing about this crop that's sort of this is possibly um one of the dearest crops we've ever grown um so we, we, we're relying on a few few factors. We're relying on the market to be strong because none of us have got any hedging going forward and we hope that closes the, the gap between the cost um, squeeze. But, um, you know, we're all wearing high diesel prices, um, high, high um, fertiliser and chemical prices and just general day-to-day infrastructural costs and and... And the one bit of lime, there's, there's a few travellers around now, so we're being able to source a bit of labour, which is good. And 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 I, I don't want to paint the picture that it's all bad because it's not. It's the industry we live and love. Um, but, you know, it's on people's minds that there's a bit more out in the trench at the moment. Um, let's see what comes back in the bin. Especially during the season of maybe coming off a couple of years, we were optimising, spending on infrastructure, spending on silos and everything or even buying another farm that we could improve 
what sort of crops we're growing or sort of hedge against our own environment restraints as well um, to turn into this season, how it goes. As you said, we don't want to be um, speaking down all the time, but these are the challenges that you're fronted with, with GPA as a chair and as the CEO. That's right. We're up for the challenge, Jack. One one week at a time. And just Which a couple of challenges. So we've wrapped up the seasonality of it. Colin, the biosecurity levy, do you, you want to top on this for us? And what yeah, they... well, the government's, yeah, we've spoken about this before. It was announced yeah. in the May budget. Barry was there at the breakfast when the minister announced that um, no, no one was happy with that announcement. Um, it came as a, a shock. Um, and uh, so our members opposed the payment of the levy. We've been pretty firm on that. We've met with the minister at the AGIC conference in um, at the end of July, and we made that position clear. Um, and we put out a recent media release with grain growers who we're working well with um, strategically to try and align on positions as best we can. Um, and that media release um, coincided with the opening of the public consultation process on this new levy. Well, most of our members are calling it a tax. Let's call it what it is. It's not like the current levy system where we work in partnerships with Plant Health Australia to protect growers from biosecurity threats and, and with others other partnerships and also with the GRDC on, on RD&E investments. So um, they're going to design the levy in co consulting with growers. That means we'll get to talk. I'm not sure if they'll listen, but the money's going into consolidated revenue to the government. It's not actually going into a, a bank account of an RDC to be spent in partnership on doing the job that growers need to protect their industry. So our members are pretty strong and firm that we don't support the payment of it. But given it's a public consultation process, um, as we put in our media release with grain growers, we'll you know, obviously have input into the design. And we think, you know, obviously grains will be one of the biggest contributors to that uh, levy amount that's going to be collected. We want to see some investments. We want to be part of the design process to see actually what value that's delivering to growers. And I mean, Barry's been saying that from day one, along with our members as well. I think the, go, I think the thing is, is that, it's, it's just another tax, and I just don't think there's any other way to put it. I mean, how many times do you want growers to pay for biosecurity? We're, we're paying it through our levy to PHA. We're paying it through GRDC. We're paying it through state governments. We're paying, we're paying it through local shires, let alone the cost of what growers are paying for themselves. That's the hidden cost of making sure that they, they, they have their farm in good nick and they know what's going on and, and that. So... To, to hear it's going into consolidated revenue is a bit hard to swallow. If we could see where it's going, what it's going to be spent on, then then you um then then you can sort of value up the the proposition. Let alone to think of you know, it's not just growers that are in on this. It, you know, the risk creator has got to be in on this, um, well and truly because it it's a well known fact that um the last three or four big incursions into biosecurity issues in, in Australia at the moment haven't been caused by the grains industry, but we're mopping it up. We're paying to protect our industry, and um, this needs to be shared along the line. So yeah. we, where, where does accountability lie? Like, where where do we want to spread that um, across? What's the direction? What we've been saying all along is that there should be a, a, a container levy so that the risk creators are paying more. So hitchhiker pests like Capra are coming in 
and the world trade environment and movement of passengers are becoming bigger and more complex, different pathways through to different markets. So to trace containers and where it might pick up capra beetle and ultimately arrive in Australia is becoming a lot more difficult. So those people are bringing in those risks, a tiny little beetle, and it might be on packaging for a, you know, a household product and find its way out to someone's house and then out into the wheat growing regions. And that's really what we want to do. We want by making them pay a, a levy, they're contributing more to that shared responsibility and they're also increasing accountability uh, so that they feel part of the system. Because as Barry said, there's there's levies there and some of them are set at nil, Jack. Where if there is a biosecurity outbreak, the growers will be paying for it for the eradication. Now we know the taxpayers contributing as well through some of those government processes, but the people who bring it in get to walk away, yep. so they they don't have to pay for the mess that they create or the 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 you know the market shutting down. We're still wearing the costs on multiple levels. Never mind having to pay for the biosecurity on an ongoing basis. So. We think that the government's got it really wrong. They've misread the the situation here in terms of creating that shared accountability and or better accountability and responsibility by making growers pay yet again. Well, maybe um, a bit of consolation, consultation with the grains industry before yeah. it would have been maybe a good point to start. There is one shining light, but in all of this, is that, you know, with all these little incursions we've been having, you know, the, the, the Joe Blow consumer is picking up that this isn't right and they're doing their bit. So collectively, as a country, we're trying to protect, they're trying to protect their farmers and we're trying to protect our product, which at the end of the day is what it's all about. So, you know, it's not all bad, but um, we don't need any more taxes, that's for sure. Do you Are you happy to pay it, Jack? No, I definitely don't think so. I think it's a bit of an easy out as well with the least amount of people, um, but also it's a... Looks like we're producing a lot, so surely they can wear it. But really, no, it's not the case. And it can come from not everything that we're doing on farm. And we're trying mm -hmm. to keep it out of our boundaries and everyone else should be able to do that too and take some accountability for it, for sure. It's a partnership, isn't it, Jack? It's a partnership with everyone along the supply chain. Yeah, definitely even consumers, direct-to-consumer yep. products, who's checking that sort of stuff that's not coming always in a container. Um, if it's just a one parcel from overseas, you never know. Yeah. Pretty scary, really. I did a tour through DPI Orange, and they've got a team there that was working on the Varroa mite and also the Capra beetle and what's happening. They just got, like, truckloads of soil to go through to test for the Varroa mite. Um, and that, that brings us into what it means for grains industry, Colin. What And what's happening within the Varroa mite? We know it's sort of leached past its boundaries within New South Wales. Um, has it gone further or what's the impact you're seeing? Well, I think everyone's been reading the main news headlines and keeping abreast of where the detections have been picked up and the impact it's having on other industries. We can only speak about what's happening for the grain sector and um, GPA has a role to Plan Health Australia, which works with government and, again, with those partnerships um, federal and state and the plant industry members to to look at eradication um, of, of pests and, and ways of preventing it. So our role in that, a lot of the discussion has been around the, the, um, the, the management plans and also the costs. So as we mentioned before, growers pay levies that go to PHA as well. And I think for grains, we haven't been a, a, 
an in industry that's been directly impacted due to the reliance on pollination services like some of those other plant industries like almonds, for example. So um, we haven't had our members um, ringing down the phone to us um, about this issue, um, but we've been staying involved in the processes to make sure that the, the costs are reasonable, that the grains industry is contributing to this eradication effort, plus to keep an eye on it. So, um, you know, the, the bees, for example, need to move to canola crops as well to feed. Um, and to maintain their ability to pollinate. So there, you know, there's mutual benefit to that. There's not necessarily direct commercial impact or reliance on that crop for the honeybees to pollinate. So, But Barry certainly is more experienced at this stuff than me, and he's been right at the front line for a decade and a half. Oh, look, you know, the varroa mite is um, very big, and, and I think, you know, one thing's for sure, everyone is united. In, in in assessing what we're dealing with and how we're going to deal with it. And and I think, you know, they're saying that um, collectively we're strong and um, divisively we're weak um, is what's going on. But, you know, we, with this, we are, we're fortunate that it's not a big impact on our industry, but we're 100% in there supporting other industries as we would expect if the, it was around the other way. Um, there is a, a a bit of an issue for us, not with breeding canolas and and the like. Um, we need a bit of pollination, so so we have to be involved in it, and also um, being able to look at what's going on, assess what's going on, to be realistic. Um, and I, I'm quite confident that as across many industries, we've 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 tried to put a plan together that um, not too much blue sky but an option to try and see how we can go treating it. And um, we've just got to put it through that process to try and make sure we can get the best outcome um, going forward to um, protect everyone, really. It's probably in the discussion of eradication versus prevention and where we are with what we're going to do to improve the current situation. Um, it's quite unique, though, isn't it, how much of a crossover agriculture has and it will lead us into another topic in a sec with live export ban um, and how that's impacting grains. But varroa mite obviously need to pollinate the crops with the bees. Um, but how the bee, the beekeepers are like stuck with their pods down in different locations. They actually can't move them back into the red zone or wherever they may be in the green zone. Um, yeah, very unique in how you're dealing with, with it at GPA as well. Well, it's um, crazy. And 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 one farmer to another farmer, it doesn't matter what you farm, yep. you still understand that you're at the lap of the gods and the lap of the season and what you do. And and then it's a classic example of why biosecurity is so important to manage it properly and get it right. And 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 I, I can't say that strong enough. And 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 I think, you know, sometimes it's not acceptable that um, the dollar is is impacted, and, and I'll say it again: that you know the container industry and the risk creator being responsible sits very front and center to me, because um, we all know if I have a fire and I burn you out, you're going to claim on my public liability, and I don't see this being any different um, in this scenario scenario with things that are going on. Um, we have to protect the um, person who's having a go. I think it's called consequential. Um, business risk and and um, that's just how the ball rolls 
This is a question for you, Barry. Where do you see capacity for farmers to tackle all these ongoing situation for the grain producers? Like the amount of time this stuff can soak up, the mental capabilities. Um, how the hell are we doing all of this and getting the tractor work done? Um, and oh, oh, look, I think um, it's a great question. And I think I've given um, four or five hours this week to um, that I won't get back to Varroa. Um, <laughs> and and um, I, I think that get behind your farming organisations. <clears throat> you need to get behind them because we need representative government. We need people to clear thinkers, you know, and I, I think some of us um, can... Um, can do the job and some people can't but when an opportunity comes that you can give a bit for the industry get in behind the industry and give a bit i think you find it rewarding with like-minded people and um and 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 i'll say it again support the state farming groups because they're putting up a fight to protect our industry and he brought up live export a minute ago well that's a classic example of where a lot of efforts going into at the moment and um to to support our 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 industry and make sure that the right decisions are made so i really do, and, and farmers get bigger labor gets harder but you know what there's an old saying isn't there if you want to get something done you ask a busy person to do it yeah. and um i think um the most important key is is that we want real farmers making real decisions because um when you're in these meetings you give it the sniff test of how it would happen on your farm and you go, yeah, you know what, that would work or this wouldn't work. And um, so I, I really do try to rise above the politics and and I don't see the politics getting in the road as much now. Get in there and support. Get in there and support and do your bit for a few years and then, then let the next guy do his bit for a bit. Well, here's a good quote to wrap that up. If it's to be, it's up to me. And it's good <laughs> to fun for that one as good well. Idea. But um, we'll just move on to the live sheep export ban. Colin, what sort of impact or what are you hearing from your side and how that's impacting where a lot of the feed grain goes to? Well, the most recent iteration of that um policy implementation by the Labor government is to extend the deadline for the panel that did the public public consultation for, the, for them to report. There's a number of ways of looking at that. There's probably uh, another issue going on at the moment called the, the voice, the referendum, yep. and the announcement of the um, closure of the live sheep trade is going to attract a lot of um, negative publicity. It's not a popular policy decision at all, especially in Western Australia. So I think that's another distraction. So maybe um, my time around Canberra means I'm just a bit more of a political conspiracy theorist than others, but you'd have to say that could be a convenient deadline to extend it. Um, I don't know the exact reasons why the panel needs more time to report, um, but it's just bad news shutting down an industry that's operating at a 99.93% um, delivery success rate that's creating jobs and economic activity and our customers uh, want the product we're producing a high quality product and we're doing it with world leading animal welfare standards so none of it makes sense on a factual level scientific level and in a common sense level it's just blunt politics designed to appease the animal rights activists who won't ever be appeased until um, your 
uh, walking naked through a forest, Jack, eating nuts and berries off a tree and um, cuddling uh, a sheep to sleep at night. So um, that's, if you can find one. Yeah. So it's already having an impact on sheep prices. Uh, the market's crashed and people are already experiencing losses. So where they draw the line on compensation, where that starts will be really interesting. Uh, when they threatened to shut down the trade and made a political decision because the industry's taken its medicine. I mean, this is the decision to say, well, we won the election in 2022 and we're going to shut you down anyway is counterintuitive to the fact that the industry's gone through an incredible amount of reform to improve animal welfare standards, the voluntary bans during the heat periods uh, or the riskier periods of heat stress during the northern summer, they are all examples where growers and industries already taken a, a hit in the hip pocket to demonstrate better and world-leading animal welfare standards. It means nothing. So it's a bit like a cancer patient being in a ward, having recovered five years later, they're fit and they're healthy. And, um, and a new doctor comes in and says, listen, we were just voted in by the uh, nurses out there and others in the, in the waiting room. And uh, I'm the new doctor and we're now going to terminate your life. Uh, based on a diagnosis from five years ago. And, and I just think that's the way that this policy um, is being viewed by most people in the agriculture sector. And there's a very strong and united voice that's saying this is a red line issue. If they can come along and ignore that level of common sense and facts and scientific and uh, advancement and policy implementation, um, then what else can they do, Jack? You know, well, they can implement a biosecurity levy, no dramas. We'll just take the money off you and put it into consolidated revenue. So there's a very low, um, you know, standard of politics involved in this decision. And it's hard to Barry, say. Barry's living with it. They're going to be pointed in towards. Uh, but we've also got precedents with the cattle ban as well before, and look how that turned out. It didn't turn out too well um, for the animals themselves, for the farmers, for the communities surrounded by them, um, and mm. the ripple effect off the back of that, even if it's not like they arm and are about this and then change the government four years later, um, it swaps back around and we've got to change these policies. We've got to start back up, probably take four years to start back up again anyway. It won't start back up. That's the thing. You know, it won't. We, we've got a pretty good stake in the sheep industry. Just mark 5,500 lambs. Lamb stake. And I'm thinking, what am I doing next year? Not sure. But the number of people getting out of livestock in Western Australia who farm in medium to high rainfall areas that's um, meant to run sheep and mixed farming yep. going are yep. going going to grain because um, the uncertainty doesn't suit their business model. And, and um, I think, wow especially when the science backs up that the industry needed a shake-up. It's had a shake-up a long time ago, I might add now, and it's got the runs on the board. But yep. that doesn't appear to count for anything. Um, so, unfortunately, um, yeah, it's not good. We'll continue to do the advocating from this side anyway. Um, 100%. But... For the big showdown, what you're over in the West there for, Colin, the GRDC meeting you're going to, can you put us as a fly on the wall for the listeners to see what strategies are going to be put in place, what you're wanting, um, what's the future looking like? Yeah, the, well, as you know, the 
GRDC is also um, spending grower levies coupled with government funding on RDNE, and GPA shares a role with grain growers to provide oversight and accountability of GRDC performance. And we do that through a number of mechanisms, but one is uh, um, we have regular consult meetings where um, the executive and chairs, we meet and discuss the key issues. And, um, and then we have once a year, we have a, a meeting where we have representatives from both boards and the GRDC board. So and that's a, a bigger meeting and a, a longer agenda. And we go into more detail on what the current research priorities are and some of the perennial issues that we've been pushing along. Um, GRDC has just released a new RDNE plan for the next five years. So we've been involved in putting the views of our members into that process as well. And uh, we've also been pushing GRDC to do research in, in particular areas. Uh, one new one, uh, research and development to inform policy, it's called, but the new one is looking at the ISCC scheme and whether or not Grains Australia could be a potential home for a national certification scheme. In particular, that's been getting a lot of headlines in WA. Um, people aren't happy with being held accountable to the EU's production standards, and some of those things that may come up in audits are starting to rise to the surface. Um, but, you know, they're managing that better, but that's one of the things we'll talk to GRDC about. So, you know, it's... Um, it's always good to have those talks and Barry's been involved in those processes since day one and knows the value of having the relationship where you can be honest and factual and, and GRDC responds and working with management so they understand uh, where we're coming from and vice versa. You can get a lot done without having to bash each other over the head, Jack. Good communication. That's, that's what we need. We need strong communication between us and them and, and we need outcomes. Because at the end of the day, there's a hell of a lot of funds being collected and um, I think growers are entitled to a bit of skin. And um, so we, 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 it's, we want to hold them not so much to account, but we, wanna, we want the process going forward to be active and, and, and return a dividend to growers because that's what we're all here for. Just knowing like this levy services that um, and then that levy will return this outcome for you as a producer actually sort of seeing the return yep. on assets or return on investment as well is that um rol return on levy is that actually a measurable outcome within these organizations did you just make that up roi i'll go copyright it no that's <laughs> return on investment but return on levy i want to know about well the new ratio will just create it well, if you want if you want to increase your ROL, then membership of GPA oh, is yeah. is VIP. Yeah. So is a key. But at the end of the day, yeah, there's a number of processes in that, you know, the, and under legislation where we have those measuring GRDC's performance and providing that feedback to the department and um, ongoing conversation just to keep them in check. So, and that's our role, representing the growers who pay the levies, because the government also fund matches the funding. They're accountable to government as well. So, you know, GRDC ultimately serves two masters with government funding in there. We make sure that it stays focused on the grower outcomes as well. Um, from the point of view that Barry was saying before, that sniff test of is it good for growers? Yeah, and I think you're right, actually, ROL. You know, you're dead right. When it was set up, grain wasn't... Uh, 700 bucks a tonne for canola or uh, 400 for wheat was 180. 
And um, I don't think costs are, the curve is exactly the same, even though they might be able to find a graph that it is. But if you look at the um, how the reserves are sitting in this organisation, um, you know, getting a view from growers, how they feel about it is pretty important. And also, you might get different viewpoints from growers that mm. sort of hang on. We haven't even really thought about that sort of perspective. Just because our mates up in the hills and grows his crop on the side of a hill, you might see it a little bit differently to those that lay in the flats down below. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The GRDC has its own panel processes for identifying research priorities in in a paddock, uh, you know, or in paddocks and regionally based priorities. So, and that works quite well, but you know, our role's at a higher level in terms of that accountability and oversight into the overall system, just to keep them on track. We'll have to start calling them fields now. We're trying to get into the EU markets out in the field. <laughs> uh, paddocks with a capital P, mate. <laughs> so with that bit of a wrap up, um, are you optimistic about the season ahead for grain producers, Colin and Barry for yourself? Over there in the west, is your oh, out twice. Your long every day. Yep. Every day we're optimistic. You know, we we listen to our members, yep. and we'll make the changes needed, and um, we'll consult, and um, we don't try to pretend that we're everything to everybody, but we'll certainly listen to our members, and we'll try and offer something that can have a good relationship with government, other participants in the industry and make a difference on our bottom line and give a perspective that is needed, particularly to the government. Yeah, and I'll, I'll just finish with the observation in regards to what we've been doing over the last couple of years on mental health with yep. Brad Hogg out there leading our national initiative with New Farm and now Grain Growers as well and Rural Aid and Lifeline and, and JRDC also supporting it. Um, and that is to make sure you take a break as well, short breaks, long breaks, Call a mate, stay in touch with the mates. If the season's getting harder and, uh, you know, it's not raining and um, you're probably working even harder, so it's even more important to put a holiday in, you know, in front of you to look forward to. People say, we've got too much to do. Well, it's as, as much an investment in your productivity and health as, as anything. So that's our message for the year. So that's what we'll say. You know, we wish everyone a good season, but um, don't forget you've got people out there in the community who care and stay in touch with them and make sure you, you know, down tools, even if it's come over your place, Jack, on a Friday night and, and have a beer or a, a green tea or whatever it is that you're into, prune juice or pink well, lemonade. It doesn't really matter. Invited. I've cleaned the pool out just for you, Colin, to get your top. <laughs> um, but no, that is a good note. I always feel like I can go in a bit in a higher gear after a holiday, but as farmers, we're pretty stubborn and we don't know how good it is until we're at that sort of stage it's that transition into a holiday no i can't get away from the farm and then you're off the farm you're like shit how good is this yeah uh yeah. and now we've got labor coming back like more available anyway on farm and making sure that they can take that on for that week that weekend whatever it may be um as we speak about this i'm going away for a couple of weeks and it would be really good to refresh it, come back um, and see how we go and get back into the podcasting heavier and but also farming it's good for us we want to be happy at the end of the day sounds good yeah and we're we're putting our money where our mouth is too gpa we've got a five thousand dollar uh five thousand dollars worth of holiday prizes too so we're running a competition jack you should enter 
I'm going to commit you to entering right now. 25 words or less, what's your ideal holiday? It's running until early next year, so you've got plenty of time to enter. Yep. But, you know, that'll help you take uh, take a pretty good break, I reckon, and a few others. It's just the initiative we need um, and not an, another levy to go on that RL. Um, I'll get the link off that for Colin to get in the show notes. You'll be able to find that competition there. So hopefully you two can get a holiday. And that's what the podcast was all about, to set the farms up, be profitable, sustainable, and then at the end, get the holiday that we need. That's it. If I don't do a good job with GPR, I'm on a permanent holiday, Barry said. <laughs> Seasonal. Chase bin driver. At the helm of the farmers, look out. <laughs> Thanks, Jack. Good on you, Colin. Barry, thanks, mate. See you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Farms Vice podcast. We're well and truly over 200 episodes now, and we're keen to get a fair bit more within that as well. So if you're not a member of GPA currently, thanks to GPA, Colin, and the team for supporting the podcast and delivering some quality content out there that farmers can actually take away something, implement it into their operation, or it can go into their mindset to see how they're doing, what they're doing, and how GPA is sort of barracking for the grain producers right across Australia. Make sure you share the episode with your mates, and also make sure you're subscribed. Not all of the listeners are subscribing, and that is the best way that you can support the podcast to get more farmers listening and sharing knowledge to this generation and to the next. But until next time, see you next Tuesday and keep on farming.